down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. Throughout our lives, we've heard that what we don't know won't hurt us. This generation's old proverb is often attributed to author Margaret Atwood. But what Miss Atwood actually said was, what you don't know won't hurt you? A dubious maxim. Sometimes what you don't know can hurt you very much. And in her novel, The Handmaid's Tale, the character of Alfred points out that we lived, as usual, by ignoring. Ignoring isn't the same as ignorance. You have to work at it. Atwood explains that the women didn't want to believe what was going on, so they simply lived in the gaps between the stories. What if you aren't content with not knowing? What if you don't just want to ignore? What if there's some inner force that drives you, forces you to find the truth, even if you don't really know that a truth exists? Some people have an internal intuition or insight that compels them to seek answers to a question that smolders inside of them. This feeling is commonly known as a gut instinct. It's like having a sense of uneasiness about a situation and not being able to explain it in a logical way. According to Healthline, you might experience this sensation as a faint whisper, or it might come on so strongly that you just cannot ignore it, and your brain encourages you to take notice of this perception. On a personal note, I've experienced this very emotion. Growing up, an intuition seared within me, something I just knew. I always felt a sort of disconnect, like being on the outside looking in. Although I grew up very close to my sisters, and I loved them very much, I was quite aware of a disengagement from them. It wasn't that I was better than or worse than either of them. It was that they shared a deeper connection with each other than they did with me. And this perception of their relationship perpetuated my belief that we didn't share the same biological father. Many, many times I asked who my real dad was and was always discounted, diminished, and criticized for my questioning. Finally, when I was 54 years old, 
I learned the true identity of my biological father. That information led me down a painful path of searching for him and pleading with his known family members in hopes that they would give me information of his whereabouts because I yearned to meet him. I didn't want anything from him. I just wanted to see his face and hear his voice. Eventually, I learned his address and I stopped by his house. It was Father's Day weekend last year, and when I arrived, only his wife was home. I told her that her husband grew up in the same area as my family, and that I had heard much about him and just wanted to say hello. She invited me to return sometime, and I did, just a couple of days later. As I drove to his home, I prayed that I would find him outside and that he would be alone, and that's exactly how I found him. When I met him, I shared with him that I was told he was my biological father and that I didn't want to disrupt his family or ask anything of him. I just wanted to meet the man who was responsible for giving me life. He had many questions, as did I, but we talked, laughed, cried, and hugged. I then lived my entire life with my dad during that one single hour. I assured him that I would never return to his home or reach out to him again, as we both were at the point in our lives that trying to build our relationship could easily destroy many other relationships. We then shared a long embrace and said our goodbyes. And as I walked to my car, I looked back to see him wiping tears from his eyes. Very sadly, my dad died just a few months after that. The reason I shared my personal account is because so many of us who have never known our parent or our parents wonder about so many things. Do we look like them? Do we sound like them? Or do we have any similar traits or mannerisms? Michelle Monroe knew she had a mom and even knew that her name was Betty Jo. But her memories of her are faded and fragmented. Even with the help of photographs, she struggles to recall their life together. But Michelle shared a memory of something that really provided a connection to her mom and helped her to know that Betty Jo does live on through her. I went back to that moment of my grandma sharing this moment of this picture. My grandma, my mom was an artist and I was like, wow, I draw too. And I have this connection. I'm like my mom. It was a beautiful forest scene and it was a mama doe and her baby in the forest. And I was like, wow, you know, it was such a, a weird connection, but a beautiful connection. 
Betty Jill vanished permanently from young Michelle's life when she was a child of seven years old. And for the next 20 years, Michelle clung tightly to the hope that someday her mom would return to her life. And someday, Betty Jo would once again be a mom to her and a grandmother to her own children. But one evening, when Michelle was at work, she received a frantic call from her uncle. A call that changed everything. And a call that told her someday was never going to come. That day, it was a spring day, and I was at work. At the time, I worked second shift, and I received a call from my uncle, and at the time, one of my aunts was having some health issues, so I was concerned, you know, he was calling me about her, and um, I answered it, and he said, hey, um, just to let you know, your aunt and your cousin are on their way to come and see you, and I knew that that was something important because they live so far away. And so I was like, okay, what's going on? You know, is it so-and-so? And it's like, oh no, she's fine. Um, but they had news about your mom. So here I am, you know, ecstatic, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I've, I'm like, what's going on? It's like, well, it's something that they would, I, they would rather talk to you face to face about. And it's like, you know, me, I'm just, you know, I haven't known, you know, almost my half almost my 20s to birth not knowing where my mom was at so I was just like please just tell me and he's like honey she's she's not alive anymore and that was pretty um so I'm here at work <laughs> I'm a crier and um I was like are you sure and he's like honey yes we are so I leave work I go to my apartment I tell more of those out on the phone and I mean, you know, we have our pleasantries and I sit down and I'm like, okay, what happened? And they tell me that a cousin of mine had look, been looking on Ancestry. My fa all of our family knew that my mom was missing. She hadn't been there. And he was determined to find my mom. So while he's doing Ancestry, putting our family tree together, um, he was looking up articles and looking at my mom's name. And he found this article about this woman and that she had been murdered by a serial killer in Texas. And when he looked up her name, cause he'd never seen a picture of her and her picture was in the article. And he asked my aunt, is this her? And she's like, yes, that's her. Now this is my aunt, this is her sister, her baby sister. And we're sitting there bawling, you know? And it's hard to imagine losing someone that you never met, but you mean, they mean the world to you because without them, you would not be here. On that spring day, everything changed. Any hope that Michelle had of seeing her mom again was dashed in an instant but the details of Betty Jo's life, more importantly, her death, would shake Michelle's world 
to its very foundation. Any questions the family had as to what happened to their beloved Betty Jo would be answered, and by the very man who took her from them. It helped me, you know, even if it was her final moments, to kind of know where she was at at that time, that she was young herself, you know. It was weird because the year I found out about it, I was 27. And when she was murdered, she was just turned 28 two weeks before. So we were at that moment. At time, even though it was so many years before, I was in that mindset she was at that time. I can't imagine what she felt. What, you know, her lifestyle was way different than mine. You know, she was on the road. She hung out with bikers. And that was known to me when I was growing up that she kind of ran off with bikers and did her thing. And and the story backed it up. You know, it's like, okay, I know that's true. And it helped me try to understand. But can you really understand the mind of a murderer? I don't know you. Yeah, you're friendly enough to pick me off the road, but she still had lived on the street. She knew she was supposed to be cautious. She just wasn't cautious enough. And she made that, made that mistake of letting this man who seemed kind, maybe it might have been the age difference because he was way younger than her. Maybe she's like, well, I'm a little bit more mature than him. You know, I should, you know, know more than he does. And she made that mistake. What did this seemingly kind young man actually do to Betty Jo Monroe. The details will absolutely make your stomach turn. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women. Weekend in light While searching for love No pain in this world With no help from above